Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Stephen the Warman Writes Kickfighting Podcast Show. I'm your host, Stephen the Warman. You are listening to this podcast in several ways. Uh, the most efficient ways to go to the blog, which is lordgaul.podbean.com, or go to the iTunes search engine and enter Warman Kickfighting Show, and the show pops right up. We're also going to be on other platforms thanks to uh, Between Rounds Radio. You'll see us on SoundCloud, you'll see us on Spotify. And we'll just do our best to keep getting you guys kickboxing content. So, a couple of news, uh, things of note and news. And then I'm going to talk about the main thing that I wanted to focus on was some of the what-ifs out there in the kickboxing world. Uh, Today's what-if is going to be about Stefan Lecko and the promise that he had and just a better understanding of his career. And then just kind of what happens to us all as old age gets us and, and we're not what we used to be. Uh, he had a great shift in his career due to his time stopping to pursue MMA for money. But uh, I'll get into his story a little bit more um, later. But first, I want to talk about some of the signings for one championship. Uh, they went out and they picked up David Kyria. Uh, they picked up a um, Yane Risco. Uh, and then there's still some you know details to be worked out with uh, Sidichai they're trying to work through. Uh, you know, but basically the thing is they're trying to get what's looking like a really good lightweight division, uh, the featherweight for them. And, you know, they're going there and they're putting the time in and Tafun Askin, of course, to me is my favorite of those signings. But clearly when you look at Tafun Askin, you look at Superbun and, uh, you look at Petrosian, you're talking about, you know, three of the best in the world right now. Uh, and any way you match those up, those are good matches. But in particular, I want to see how Tafun Askin does against this group. So you've got some people out there calling for them to do a K1 World Grand Prix style, you know, uh, K1 Max style tournament. Uh, but the weird thing about it is they just did that, and it had, like, no luster at all. Uh, and I think it was because of the Petrosian situation. We were all, the goal for that was Yotes and Clyde versus... Um, for Trojan. Like, that was the dream situation. That's what we were all hoping would happen, but you know how the fight game is, and we particularly know how the tournament game is. Uh, Sammy Sana had other plans, and uh, that victory did not go, or that fight did not go the way of Yotin Klai, outside of the fact that it was really one of the great fights that you're ever going to see. Uh, it was a really, really entertaining fight. But they're really developing a core of guys. Now, those guys, some of them have got the uh, glory kickboxing history. Um, the glory middleweight division, our lightweight division, is still extremely strong. Still has a lot of good talent, has a lot of young talent. Uh, these names that they're using in this tournament, first of all, they've got a lot of Thai names, you know, and that's something that uh, it's it's always interesting to see what happens when Thai matches up with Thai in some of these tournaments. Uh, sometimes it's not the most memorable fights. Like, I don't have a lot of people saying, man, I remember in this international event where this tie fought this tie, and it was an all-time great classic banger. You usually don't get that. Uh, so if that does come into play, definitely curious to see what that goes. But mostly I'm curious about Oskin and how he does. The Kyria had a glory kickboxing run. He started to lose at the end of that run. And then in some of the fights in China and some of the opportunities out there, the Ben Mo victory and some others helped him to really turn that thing around. Not super old, but a little bit older. But um, it's always cool to see his name. Johnny Resco is an interesting one because, in truth, Johnny's older, but also, if you take away two upset victories over two older guys, 
Uh, but, you know, they're, they're K1 Max guys, so it matters. Uh, victory over Andy Sauer, which a lot of people disagree with. Uh, but then, of course, the victory over Bacow was clean. The injured Bacow uh, wasn't able to be his best when Risco was able to score consistent offense and get the W there. So outside of those two wins, he's had a lot of losses in infusion, mostly losses. Uh, he was the champion of the division thanks to that, and I don't know how the mechanics of him defending that title comes into play, but he just um, hung out and, you know, he has a win here and there. But for the most part, I wouldn't see him elite in the way I look at Kyria. But he's a savvy veteran who's been around for a while, and it gives you depth. So definitely curious to see what one does with that division moving forward. Um, I look back at the career of Stefan Leckel, and um, you know I have these great memories of a smaller guy who was able to have success. Now, he wasn't small in the way that you would look at someone like a Andy Hoog small. You know, Andy Hoog. It's probably the master of a small guy who could fight bigger. Uh, he knew how to, you know, fire his hooks. In practice, I call it shooting the V. He knew how to punch in between the guard or between the space between the glove and the bicep. Uh, when he was going against taller people, he knew how to play with a certain amount of rhythm. Uh, he knew how to keep you from scoring consistently. He knew how to find positions in the ring where you weren't able to be confident in your offense and you felt like you had to pursue him. And then he could angle off or tie up or find his moments to get his, his kick offense going. But really, he had the power boxing. Like, if he got close, he let his hands go. He usually had a lot of success. So he was the all-time great little man in the history of kickboxing. You know, uh, Marcon's a shorter guy, too. But Leko, I'd say he's, for a heavyweight, small, but not really small. A 6'1", 6'2"-ish range. Uh, didn't have a lot of weight. I think towards the end, he was like 220. I think in his prime, he was closer to 211. Uh, I've seen him listed at 6'2". When I trained with him in Thailand, and I want to say that was 2000, 2010, I think was when we met. Um, but when I trained in with him in Thailand, I thought he and I were about the same height. I might have even been a little bit taller, and I'm around 6'2". So it's like he was a guy who didn't bring a lot of size, uh, but he had amazing fast hands. So they call them blitz. The blitz was something that Japanese, the, the, I think it came, they talked about it in Germany, but I think it really picked up in Japan. I, even in the video games, I think he was called blitz because once his hand speed started going, it was a blur. You know, all of a sudden he's just letting them go and you can't keep up with it. So he puts together a resume in Germany, starts to do really well. Next thing you know, he gets some international opportunities. One of them actually came off of a loss to Dutch fighter uh, Jan uh, Lemonder. Uh, and in the Netherlands, but he gets the opportunity to fight in the K1 Braves event, and in that opportunity, he beats Sato uh, Ketsongrit, and in winning that one, it just blows me away, in winning that fight, that made K1 think, okay, let's invest in this little guy, let's give him a little uh, a shot, you know, he's not one of the bigger heavyweights that we have, at this time, Jerome LeBander's walking around, at this time, uh, you know, Mike Bernardo's walking around. We're 1997. So at 20 years old, they put him against Ernesto Hoos. He loses, loses by a KO right cross. But this is one of the most important things that I've brought up on this podcast before. It's one of the most important things that I got from Stefan Lecco. Stefan Lecco talked about later when he got his victory over Badahari. They had a lot of heat. He gets the victory with spinning back to the body. And then, um, like, you know, they were angry and talking trash, and he spit on them when he was on the ground, and it was a nasty scene. 
But afterwards, they talked to him, and he had calmed down. And he said, he had a real big step up in going against me. But when I was 20 years old, I was called to go against Ernesto Hoos. That understanding of this is how this game is. The way this game works is you don't necessarily become a killer your whole life. You know what I'm saying? You're not like like a killer all the way through. You start to dominate your area. You start to dominate your weight class. You start to dominate the people in your country. And then when you get a step-up opportunity, it's usually going to be someone with a name. And no matter how you do, it's important that you have that for the development of you as a fighter. You can't just go through your whole career without getting that shock or being developed into the position to be in that fight and then get the shock. Most of the people in this game have that story. Uh, you know, I always talk about Paul Briggs. I've said that story a million times. Paul Briggs, when he lost to Jamad, he said it was important because he was killing everybody in, in Australia. He gets the opportunity to go against the best of the weight class in Japan and he stops him. So then he goes to Thailand and he gets stopped with low kicks. And he said, I needed to know that. He was like, and again, he's 20 years old at that, 21, goes against Jamad, who's, you know, younger too. Uh, and he gets stopped, but his mentality afterwards was, that's what it's like. This guy's legit. This guy's really, really good. He needed at a very young age to fill that shock. And he went looking for opposition after he didn't have it in Australia. Went on to have a really good boxing career too. Back to Stefan Lecco. He had that shock with Ernesto Hoos. Ernesto Hoos, he goes out there. He gets some rounds in, but the second round was the last go for him. And then he went back to work. Goes back to Germany. Gets a victory there. TKO stoppage over uh, Shingis uh, Koch. And then he gets the... Peter uh, uh, Mashovic victory, which is a good victory to have. Um, Remy Bundowski got that victory, too. He's kind of around the lower tier of K1 guys. And this is a Switzerland event. So he's in this uh, one-night tournament. Beats Ray Hoffman. Beats Rob Van uh, Esdonk. Um, that really put his name out there again. He gets the opportunity to fight Japan. Loses. Gets in this tournament. Wins his way back. And I've talked about it before. Those regional tournaments were huge back in the day for developing who the next star was going to be. It's something that everybody could look for the K1 brand, look for that name. Next thing you know, you find who this guy is. You, you find out, okay, he had the step up and it didn't work out for him. But he's still winning, so we could have something down the road. After Lucko wins his tournament, they bring him out to, back out to Japan. Stops Nicholas Pettis. Nicholas Pettis, still beloved out in Japan to this day as a Kyokushin teacher. Uh, you know, he's fluent and I believe he's from Sweden originally, but his uh, Spanish is actually might be from Switzerland. But like um, uh, his Japanese is fluent and he is a guy who's been doing things really well for a very long time. Pettis go, uh, goes out there, competes well, but gets stopped. Then he runs into a little bit of trouble for Pettis. Goes against Ray Seffo, loses a decision. Goes against Andy Hook, loses a decision. No shame there. But these are still K-1 opportunities. Step back. Gets a victory over Philip Gomez. Gets a victory over Cyril Adebidi. And then he uh, finishes it off with a victory over Samir uh, Benazalos, uh, also known as Iron Leg. And actually beat him with uh, low kicks. But that was in a tournament in 1999. So you see what happens. Wins a tournament. Gets a step-up opportunity. He loses a couple of them. You know, wins the first one, loses a couple. Goes back to the tournament, wins his way back up to big opportunities again. Sam Greco is his next fight after that. He loses that one. Then he goes against Harry Hoof, or as we call him in the States, Henry Hoof. Uh, he um, gets a victory there with a spinning back kick. 
early in or into first. It was a little bit later in the round one, um, if I remember correctly. I thought it was early, but uh, I just remember there was a lot of movement, and then when he found the right moment, he let it go. But that's another victory. Um, Levit uh, Bajrami, that's another victory. Ricky Nicholson, that's another victory. Andrew Thompson's another victory. So you see that he's starting to develop, starting to get these opportunities. Uh, when he loses to someone tough, they bring him back down, and then he gets another opportunity. So this game continues, and then he gets Francisco Filho, and he loses, and he beats Alexei Ignasov, but that was by disqualification. Uh, he's doing some okay work in that, but disqual- uh, by DQ. Um, Jorgen Kruth is a loss. Mark DeWitt's no contest. Jerome LeBanner's a loss. So, again, LeBanner, Kruth, Ignashoff, Philho, getting those step-up opportunities, but not the success that we'd want. So here we've got the consistency of down and up and down and up. So he's still looking for the breakout win that's going to keep him at the top. Gets Jeff Rufus, gets a victory there, also new Duke Rufus. Um, uh, Sergey Avinov gets that victory, and then comes the breakthrough. The, the Vegas tournament where he beats Rufus and he beats uh, uh, Ivanovich. Um, uh, it is, excuse me, um, uh, I picked the wrong Rufus before, if I remember correctly. I'm kind of going off the dome on that one. But, like, uh, I believe that that tournament was 2001, and it's in America, and the finish is Peter Arts. And, of course, the big all-time great KO that he lands with the right hand will be sitting in kickboxing history forever. Uh, Arts was tired. He landed a teep. Kind of both guys got pushed away from each other. As they look to re-engage, he loads up the right hand, and he stops Peter Arts. Big-time win, finally. Finally, he gets the huge win to cement his legacy. Like, just just an awesome win. Very, very, very important. Um, awesome highlight. It really cemented who he is and why he's in kickboxing. After this, he actually goes on a, you know, losing streak where he loses to who's twice, and he loses to Mark Hunt. But... Again, no shame, because right after it, he gets a victory over Remy Bojowski. Right after, he gets a clean, you know, extra-round decision, but he gets a victory over Alexei Ignashov. Loses the hunt again, then he beats Peter again. You see, now he's fighting great guys, and he's having success. Gets a Mike Bernardo victory. Gets a Francisco Philho victory. Philho had beaten him before. You know, like, he's just, he's figured this thing out. And then, in the heat of his powers, from 2003 to 2005, Badahari, I'd say that was where he was at a point in his career where you were like, this guy really does have the potential and the ability to be one of the better kickboxers on the planet. With the guys that he beat, not just who he beat, but the different sizes, you know. Um, it's important that you can beat the tall guy and beat the small guy. Gets Badahari in a very, very important back and forth, or important one and one The first time these guys fought, it was in, I'm going to look it up, I don't want to be wrong for you guys. First time they fought was in 2005, uh, June 6th. Or excuse me, June 12th. And then the next thing that they fought was in Bader Hari's debut in November. And that was November 19th. The interesting thing to me about that choice of fight and that choice of venue um, was when you take someone that you lost to and you make that the debut of the guy who was supposed to be the best kickboxing prospect since Alexei Ignashov. But they went out there, first battle, a lot of movement. Bader Hari looked for, or, um, looking for his normal big shots. Spinning back kick to the body, lands smooth on the on the liver. Down goes Hari. Leko gets the victory. Talks to the interview like I talked to you guys before. Said, hey, when I was young like that, 19, 20 years old, I believe, he had just turned 20. 
I had to fight Ernesto Hoosh. So we talked about that was Badahari getting the step-up opportunity against a guy who had K1 resume. They run it back. And really, because of the violent nature of the spitting hook kick KO win by Badahari, people forget what that fight looked like before it happened. That fight was spectacular. It was great. It was kickboxing at its best. The back and forth was wonderful. The kick exchange was wonderful. It really was really good stuff. But Badahari gets the victory. And uh, Leko, at that moment, we didn't realize that was probably the peak of where he was going to go win this game. Had some good moments, not no great moments after that. Um, loses to Ruslan Karev after that. Karev on his way up and the way Badahari was on his way up. Uh, we are now mid 2000s, 2005. So then we've got Scott Lighty, that's an American in the tournament, beats him, beats Carter Williams, and then beats Michael McDonald to win yet another tournament. So he now won three, maybe four, uh, glory, or excuse me, uh, K1 kickboxing tournaments, all won by Leco. So he's on his way back what he did. Once he moved forward, he started to slip. Gets these tournament opportunities to get him right back into the picture. And then he beats Ray Seffel. After the Ray Seffel victory comes the period of time where you realize you have seen the best of him against the best guys. He's still out there competing, but the results are not what we had wanted or what he had wanted. And part of this is because he took a break to pursue a career in pride. And the problem with the pride run, not that it was good or bad or that he did anything, you know, you know, horrible or that he didn't train the right way or whatever. The problem with the pride run, which came 2004-2005, he said they paid him so much money that he just stopped focusing on his kickboxing and his stand-up and he just focused on the ground and he wanted to come back to kickboxing before, but they just said, hey, this we got a lot of money, we've been planning to put you, because he was in a super heavyweight, he was in the open heavyweight or the open weight championship tournament. They kept giving these opportunities. Unfortunately, in those opportunities, He's got a 27-second division uh, decision law or uh, submission loss, a one-minute and 34-second submission loss, and then finally a TKO loss, uh, you know, on the ground as well in one minute. So he never developed on the ground. He never figured out that part of it. But he spent a good portion of his, you know, life doubling up trying to do kickboxing and MMA training, and then he just focused on MMA training. And then the results were not what we were getting from uh, Mirko Koka, a guy who figured out the sprawl, figured out that part, figured out how to land the single strikes, uh, the, the, the short combinations with big impact and the spacing that Mirko figured out to make kickboxing work for him or kickboxing to MMA work for him. Didn't work for Leko, who was more a combination guy who got numbers up and then after you know slowing you down with his volume, finding his power later. He wasn't able to use that in the MMA world against the opponents that he was given. So that last MMA fight was in February 20th, 2005. So we'll go right back to his actual kickboxing career. And I'm going to start to go down the list of kind of where we are after he has this gap. And again, it's like not the end of the world, but the Badahari fight came after these MMA fights. The second one, if I remember correctly. And then you have the Ruslan Karev loss. Then you have the tournament. So the tournament's trying to get him back into shape. Ray Seffel. Then he loses to Bonjowski by decision. Didn't like that. Thought that he won that one. But he loses to Bonjowski. Loses to Magomed Magadamov. Good guy who most people don't remember. But Magomed fought him really good. Uh, Ketelan Marasano was a victory for him. Mighty Mo was a victory for him. But again, they're that style. 
Then he gets, uh, remember Gronjowski in Seoul? He was determined. He says, hey, I was cheating in the last one. I'm going to win in this one. Remy came out there to send the message. was all over him. Heard him, dropped him with the flying technique. Uh, Leko did get up, and he probably should have been given the opportunity to continue. But he was hurt, and Gronjowski was just on fire that day. Then comes a streak of guys that are guys that he was better than. Um, What's that? Junior So, uh, Mikhail Dried, uh, Sari, Rodney Glunder, um, Daniel uh, Yesiak, if I pronounced that correctly, the Latvian fighter. That run was the final great run of his career. Then he gets the Freddie Camillo loss, the Raw Cotinus loss, the Melvin Manhoff loss, and that was a leg injury. Uh, he was stopped by Raul. Um, he had a victory, and then he goes, enters and brought us the Silva loss. Uh, Carl Glet- uh, Glitzinski loss. Um, had a win against Nikolai Fallen. Had a win against uh, a couple of other guys that weren't of note. Then, Wendell Roche lost. Frederick Sinistra lost. Jerome LeBanner lost. Kellen Morsano lost. Sebastian Van Thielen. And these, some of them are take, are take TKOs. Some of them are decisions, but... You see how once he got older, this is 2010, the ball just kept going downhill, you know. The Tatsune Rogova victory was the last great victory of his career. Uh, Rogova is just a solid victory at best, but for a guy who was getting older, who had his, you know, K1 debut in 97, now he's in his early 30s and things aren't the same. Errol Zimmerman stops him. They become teammates, but Errol Zimmerman stops him. Makuta Ohara uh, another fight that was probably a good opportunity from a win. He loses that one. He's now rounded out the end of his career from 2013 to 2020. Fought earlier this year. Fought in February this year. He has lost. So that is seven years of losing. And again, he's an old man now. You know what I'm saying? Early 40s, late 30s. Most of this has happened. Uh, Badaharia lost in there. Zabit Semedov lost in there. Um... The Peter Amashrovic fight, at least that was against another older guy, but he was a guy who had all this promise. And when he came back, the kickboxing world was excited. They were like, who is this guy going to be? What's he going to do? He is a talent, and he was in his prime. He had the fast hands. He left the sport. What's it going to be when he gets back? People were waiting for him to get back. Unfortunately, when he came back, after the MMA break, he wasn't the same. And I do think that that affected his career greatly. I do think that he had the potential to at least make a run. He got to the semifinals at best before he lost to uh, Mark Hunt, but he wasn't able to get to the finals, and he definitely had the skill to do it. I think the best way to describe his MMA run and what the training, the difference in training style looks like, it's Remy Bojowski was brought in to be a kickboxer to help uh, Mirko Krokop prepare for a uh, Fight. I can't remember which kickbox he was going against. It may have been Czech Congo. I can't remember. But he's brought in to work with Mirko. Mirko had a victory over uh, Bonjowski earlier in Bonjowski's career. After they'd been training with each other, they did an interview with all the different people in the room, and they got to Remy. And then they said, hey, what are your thoughts on him as, as a kickboxer and, and you know him in MMA? Well, he goes, well, first of all, he's not as good as he used to be. And I think the reason why he said it was because he had wired himself to try to fight a different style and he had success with doing it. When he came back to guys who just did kickboxing, they were like, you've lost a step. You're not as quick. 
You, you don't read in combos. You look for singles. You move differently. You're just letting me get offense off because the, the feel is different. But Mirko had to adjust and prepare for what was going to be a really good Hall of Fame-ish MMA career after a solid kickboxing career, a kickboxing career that he went back to in his life and then went back to MMA. It just shows all around a mixed martial artist, Mirko Krokop. But Remy had described what I see in the gym as a coach myself. You can do both, but they have different styles. The thing that you don't want to lose is when you pursue one, you don't want to lose the style that you had in the other. Uh, Adesanya, for example, is not a guy who lost the style when he went to another one. But they're, clearly, they're a little bit different. They're a little bit different. And I think that's what happened to Lecco. I think Lecco was in his prime, had the hand speed, had the attitude, had the work ethic, had everything that it takes, except for not overwhelming size. But he had pop in his hands. So he had a great run, uh, did some good things. You look back on his career and you're like, man, it's almost like 500-ish. And then at the end, he loses more than he wins because you don't see the fights that he won in Germany get in that position. You don't see that long record. But the biggest thing that I would say about his career is that he was a smaller guy that found offensive success against bigger guys. But due to money, due to what Pride was doing at the at the time, he had to stop and take the money. There's no way he could have not done it. There's no way he could have been like, no, I'm just going to focus on kickboxing because it's what I'm best at. If they throw money at you like that, shoot, even if you don't train MMA, somebody's throwing you a six-figure check to go out there and get submitted in one minute, you're doing it. And I do think that he put the work in to try to get better in that grappling part of it. Like, I think he put the work in. It just wasn't meant to be. You know, some people just don't have the style that correlates over and they can't pick it up. You know, uh, some people, their style was easy for it. Pat Barry had a style that was easy for him to translate it over. Like, it was easy for him to do. So, really good stuff by um, Lacko. Had a solid career. Underrated. But I do wonder what it would have been if in that transition – from the Remy Bonjowski era into the Semi Shelt era, if he had hung out a little bit more. Now, again, Semi is going to be tough no matter what generation you're in, but I do wonder what it would have looked like. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the podcast. I'm going to do a couple more what ifs throughout the summer, probably more than a couple more. Thanks for listening. Um, God bless, and thank you for following the podcast. I really appreciate all of you. Peace.